the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. So, I mean, telling a half-truth is a lie. Abram tells a half-truth. It's a lie. And what is he saying it for? Because he wants to preserve his own hide. He doesn't want to get killed. So he doesn't even, can you imagine this? He doesn't even defend the honor of his wife. She's beautiful, but he says, you know, okay, I'm sorry. Pharaoh's going to take her into his harem. He's going to use her, take advantage of her for his pleasure. Abram's just kicking her to the curb. He has no real regard for her. Very self-centered. And he's lying about this. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through the book of Genesis. We all know about Father Abraham. He's an extremely popular character within the Bible, and he's even mentioned in the book of Hebrews as having great faith. Today, Pastor Gary will be explaining that even though Abraham is talked about in the Bible as a great man of faith, He still had a lot of sin he had to rid himself of. This just goes to show that God doesn't call the qualified, but he qualifies the call. Abraham disobeyed God on numerous occasions and even tried to give his wife away to save his own neck, yet God used him. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for part one of today's message entitled, A Calling and a Blessing. Well, would you turn in your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 12? That's where we are, Genesis 12. We come to... uh, Genesis 12 here, a very important chapter. It's a narrative about a very important man. His life will dominate the next 13 chapters until he dies in Genesis chapter 25. That means that this man's life takes up a fourth of the book of Genesis. We're talking about Abraham. His name is found more than 300 times in the Bible. He is mentioned in 11 out of the 27 books of the New Testament. He is talked about in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Jesus speaks of him often. In Hebrews chapter 11, which is that famous chapter, the Hall of Faith, most people mentioned in that chapter, Hebrews 11, get one verse. Moses, who wrote the book of Genesis, God inspired him to write the first five books of the Bible. Moses gets six verses, but Abraham gets 12 verses in Hebrews chapter 11, more coverage than anybody else of Hebrews 11. Historically speaking, there are three major world religions that look to Abraham as the father of their faith, and that would be Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Next to Jesus, really, Abraham is probably the most important person in the Bible. I say that because we have to remember that a nation, that is Israel, 
the Jewish people, and the Messiah, Jesus, come from this man's seed. He becomes the prototype of faith, and he becomes the patriarch of our faith. Now, interestingly, when you look at the genealogical record, and we'll not go over it, but in Genesis chapter 11, it gives a genealogical record from uh, Shem's descendants. Uh, Abraham, Abraham is a descendant of Noah's righteous son, Shem. And to give you a little perspective about the timeline and Abraham and all this, Abraham is born 292 years after the flood. Because you can look at the genealogical record in Genesis 11, you can just do the math and you can add when he was born, it's 292 years after the flood. So that's the, that's the kind of the context. Now, Noah, his ancestor, Abraham's ancestor, and Shem, Abraham's ancestor, Shem is the son of Noah, Noah and Shem are both still alive when Abraham is born. In fact, Abraham will be 58 when Noah dies. Shem, the son of Noah, actually outlives Abraham by 35 years. Now, the reason for this is because after the flood, not only does topography of the earth change and the environment changes, uh, but you have the accumulation of generation after generation, and the damage of the sin nature is now resulting in a decrease in the longevity of life. Because with the sin nature is introduced not only natural deterioration, but you have disease, you have all kinds of things as a result of sin, and thus uh, rather Noah lives to be 950. Shem, his son, start to see the decline, only lives to be 600. And then when you get several generations later to Abraham, he only lives to be 175. And so the impact of sin over the generations has uh, caused the longevity of life to very rapidly be reduced. Uh, Abraham's name, his given birth name is Abram. I may say Abraham and Abram through the course of the teaching. His given name, his birth name is Abram. It means exalted father. Uh, That's because dad named him. Think about that. You name your son, hey, my father is exalted. Every time your little boy is called to the playground, hey, exalted dad. Yeah, that's why Terah, his father, named him so. It's a reflection of his father, really. But God's going to change his name to Abraham. And when he changes his name, the meaning changes. And now he is called the father of a multitude. That has to do with the calling and purpose of God upon his life and how he becomes the father of a nation, the Jewish people in general, and ultimately leading to the Messiah. Paul would say in Romans 4, verse 16, that Abraham is the father of us all. The question becomes, what was it about this man's life that caused him to rise to such prominence? Why is it that God chose him to to be the progenitor of the Messianic line and of the Jewish people in general? And to answer those questions, we're going to take a look at the text this morning. I'm going to begin reading at the end of chapter 11, uh, starting in verse 31 and um, down into chapter 12 through verse 9. So uh, chapter 11 of Genesis, uh, starting at verse 31. Terah took his son Abram, Terah's the dad, took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram. And together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. Now again, let's get our bearings straight. Ur is an ancient city. Chaldea is the ancient name for Iraq. So that's the region we're talking about. Ur is an ancient city located about 150 miles south of Babylon, the ancient city of Babylon. Uh, To give kind of modern bearings, the city of Baghdad today 
is about 210 miles north of Ur. So we're still talking the region of Iraq, and God's going to call Abram to leave Iraq and to go to Canaan, which is an ancient name for Israel. The rest of the verse says, but when they came to Haran, they settled there. Now, Haran is a city about 800 miles north-northwest of Ur. They're basically going to follow the Tigris-Euphrates Valley, and they're going to go from Ur all the way up to Haran. They're going to settle there. It's difficult to know exactly how long, but based on best estimates of chronology, they spend probably 25 years there. Interestingly, one of the reasons why I think Abram moves on from Haran and eventually goes to Canaan where he's supposed to go, the promised land, It's because his dad dies. That's how chapter 11 ends, verse 32. Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. You see, there's something about God calling this man to leave your family and your country, and maybe he was reluctant to do so as long as dad was still alive. And his father is a pagan man. The Bible tells us clearly, Joshua tells us in uh, Joshua 24, 2, that Terah worshipped pagan gods, false gods. That's the home that Abram grows up in. And it's almost as if there has to be this natural separation before Abram will eventually fulfill God's calling on his life. And he'll then leave Haran and he'll go to Canaan another 600 miles. So he's going to travel in all about 1,400 miles from Ur, the ancient city in Iraq, to the promised land of Canaan. Let's read on into chapter 12. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. By the way, only the second time the word altar is mentioned in the Bible. First time was in Genesis 8 when Noah built an altar. So Abram is following after his ancestor Noah, building an altar there to the Lord. Verse 8, from there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I.E. on the east. There he built an altar, again, to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. I'm 75 years old. I'm a Gentile living in Iraq. I've grown up with a pagan father in a pagan home, worshiping pagan gods. I'm married to a woman who is barren. My name is Abram. I have a camel, we'll travel. That's his resume. That's all we know about this guy, and this is the guy God chooses. He's 75, he's a Gentile, living in a pagan home, and God chooses this guy. Now he's married, and his wife's name is Sarai. Um, Her name translates princess. Special. (laughs) Sounds kind of high maintenance to me, I don't know princess in the family. Might as well name her Diva, for all I know. I don't know. Just Anyhow, uh, she's not only princess, but to make matters worse, she's his half-sister. <laughs> Ew. On <laughs> the third row. Ew. Um, yeah, they had the same father, but they had different mothers. She's his half-sister. I guess that means this story took place in West Iraq. <laughs> all right. I just kind of uh, had to say it. I'm sorry. 
And this is the guy God chooses? But wait, there's more. The Bible actually talks about how he's a very self-centered man who has a problem with lying. You say, now wait a minute, don't be disingenuous to the patriarch or the faith. I'm not. I'm just letting you know what the Bible says. God exposes some real flaws about this guy. He's very human. He's much like you and me. Look at the rest of chapter 10, 12 rather, at verse 10. Let me share this short story with you. Here in verse 10 it says, Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abraham well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants and maidservants, and camels. I mean, look, he just gets loaded up with all these consolation prizes, you know, and he's just becoming really wealthy. Pharaoh's just, hey, you're such a great brother to let us have your sister like this. So here, take all these gifts. All the while, I'm imagining Sarah like out of the window in the palace of Pharaoh going, hey, Abraham, hey, don't forget about me. What does this guy do? He just throws her under the bus. I mean, he's like, hey, you know what? Now, here's, here's why he's doing this. Not to justify it. He's, he's lying here. He's deceptive. And he's very self-centered in what's going on here. But you need to understand the culture to understand why he's doing this. Pharaoh's obviously the most powerful man on the earth at this particular time. He's got a harem of a lot of women. And he loves beautiful women. That's kind of how they get into a harem. But the problem is, if you were a married woman... Why, they wouldn't take you into the harem because you're a married woman. You're, you belong to another man. They respected marriage, but they didn't really respect life. And here's how it would go. If you're a beautiful woman and you're married, Pharaoh would say, oh, well, that's too bad. You're, you're married. I'd love to have you into my harem, but seeing as you're married, hmm, unless, unless it just so happens that your husband meets a very unfortunate, untimely death... And then suddenly you'd be available. Now, that's the way the culture was. They, didn't, they respected marriage, but they didn't respect life. So if she were married and Pharaoh wanted her into the harem, he just killed the husband. Abram knows this. So he says to Sarai, he says, you better tell him that you're my sister. Now, it's a half-truth. <laughs> it is. But how many of you know a half-truth is a full lie? You're calling up your boss and you're like, eh, I'm really sick. Yeah, well, what you mean is you're sick of him or her. You know, I'm really sick. That's a half-truth, but it's, that's a lie. I can't come in today. I'm really sick. <laughs> so, I mean, a telling a half-truth is a lie. Abram tells a half-truth. It's a lie. And what is he saying it for? Because he wants to preserve his own hide. He doesn't want to get killed. So he doesn't even... Def- Can you imagine this? He doesn't even defend the honor of his wife. She's beautiful, but he says, you know, okay, I'm sorry. Pharaoh's going to take her into his harem. He's going to use her, take advantage of her for his pleasure. He's, Abram's just kicking her to the curb. He has no real regard for her, very self-centered, and he's, and he's lying about this. He's lying about this. Now, interesting point here to note, by the way. Bible tells us Abram is 75. We know that she's 10 years younger. That means she's 65 and very beautiful. She's 65, very beautiful. Now, you know what's more remarkable than that? 25 years later, you don't need to turn there, but in Genesis chapter 20, a similar thing happens. 
This time, it's not Pharaoh of Egypt, it's King Abimelech of the Philistines. Abram doesn't learn from this. He tells his wife again to lie in Genesis chapter 20 because the king of the Philistines, Abimelech, is going to kill me. Say that you're my sister. Say you're my sister so I won't die. He doesn't learn his lesson. What's remarkable, though, Genesis 20 is 25 years after this story. She's 90. She's 90 years old and hot. I mean, he doesn't have a lot, Abram doesn't have a lot going for him, but he's got a hot wife here. How many, how many 90-year-old grandmothers do you know who can say, overlook the walker, I'm hot? <laughs> wow. But, but anyway, that's what he's got here. Very beautiful wife, and he knows it, so he's just lying. He's lying and he's self-centered. And God has to intervene in this story in Genesis chapter 12, because Abram doesn't have enough chutzpah to be able to, I'm not sure what that means, maybe that's bad. Uh... He, I, I, I just realized that's kind of a, a Jewish expression, but I don't even know what that means. But anyhow, he doesn't have enough courage to be able to say this is wrong and defend his wife's honor. And so God has to intervene. Look at how the story goes in verse 17. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me, he said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why didn't you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Now, the Bible doesn't say what kind of diseases were inflicted, and the Bible doesn't say how exactly Pharaoh connected the dots, but God revealed it to him somehow, and Pharaoh made the association. I'm afflicted with these diseases because I've got a married woman in my harem. This isn't right. Abram, you lied to me. Take the consolation prizes anyway and leave and take your wife because I want to be disease-free. It's kind of a good thing. And that's what goes down here, but God has to intervene here because Abraham doesn't even have the courage to stand up and defend his wife. So he's a flawed man, to say the least. He lies. He's very self-centered in that, in that sense. And you might be thinking, well, why would you want to focus, Pastor Gary, on this man's flaws? Here's the reason. Because I want us to look at this story from the standpoint of the reality of who this guy is. He is a flawed, ordinary person like you and like me. I am aware when we look at this story, this is an incredible story, the calling and the blessing of Abraham, that this is a unique, epic story, all right, having to do with the foundation of a nation and raising up of the Jewish people and the Messiah that will come from this man's seed. But having said that, we still can read this from the vantage point of gleaning some principles that are intact for us today as a result of this story. And the reason I shared all that stuff from Genesis 12, God exposes it. God exposes the character flaws in Abram's life is again to take a look and to glean a principle. And here's the first one for those of you who take notes. The fact is that God chooses to use flawed, ordinary people to do his extraordinary work. There's nothing special about Abram here. He's just pagan, living in a pagan town. He doesn't even know God. God reveals himself to him and God chooses to use him. And God can choose to use any of us. Because we're all flawed, ordinary people. We have our flaws. We have our problems. We, we have our struggles. And yet, God's not looking for pe perfect people who will serve Him. God is looking for people who are available, whose hearts are after Him. And He will work in a wonderful way to raise up people for His purposes. But He doesn't look for perfect people who are all polished. He looks for flawed, ordinary people just like you and me. The New Testament bears this out as well. 
1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 29, Paul says, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. God chooses very flawed, ordinary people. Abram didn't have anything going for him. He was just a man that God providentially selected for his purposes. It's just the sovereignty of God at work here. Jesus talked about it in John 15, 16. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. There's a sovereign work of God where he begins to choose people and use them for his plans and his purposes. And he did that here with Abram. And it's not that there was anything special about this guy. He was flawed in all his many ways. And then when you look back at the actual calling and blessing here, go to the beginning of chapter 12, what we read earlier, and look at verse 1. Because the Lord speaks to him here, and he says to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. And I I love this, because God doesn't really tell Abram exactly where he's supposed to go. He doesn't really give him any details in the directions. He just says, Go. I want you to start walking, and I will guide and direct you along the way. And I love this. Even though I don't prefer it for myself, I love this about the reality of how God works, and we need to embrace this. And what do I mean? You know... um, Sometimes I hear people say to me, Pastor, pray for me. I need clarity on something. And I'm just as guilty. I've asked the Lord, clarity, give me clarity, give me clarity. You know, sometimes I think what we want is clarity when, in fact, what God wants is faith. A lot of times I think we say, Lord, give me clarity, and then I'll have faith. I think what God says to us is, why don't you exercise faith, and then you'll get clarity. Because God doesn't give Abram all this advanced information. He just simply says, I want you to go to a place you've never been. I'm going to call you to go. Now, how does he get there? You know, sometimes I think we kind of complicate the way that God works, and we think that he only works in supernatural ways. He does, but not only. I think there are many ways that God works in very natural means. I think Abram just started walking out the front door of his house, and he followed the natural trade route that is between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers in those days, and he goes all the way up to Haran, and he parks it there for a while, gets further instruction, and then he ends up going to Canaan, where God wanted him to go. There was no kind of supernatural illumination here. It was just that Abram was faithful to take one step, and that eventually God would tell him what to do. And we need to understand this about the nature of God. He is high on direction, but God is pretty low on the details. In case you haven't noticed that. You might at times get a burden for something. You get kind of a general calling or you get some kind of an awareness about what God wants you to do, big picture, direction. But then it lacks for the details. And there's generally two reasons why God doesn't always give the details. Number one is because he knows how frail we are and we'd be overwhelmed if he gave us all the details in advance. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You can look back on some things in your life and you realize where you are now and how you got there. And if God had showed you all the details along the way, you would have been overwhelmed. So God often withholds the details and only gives them to us as we need them, not all in advance. The other important thing we need to understand is that if God laid out everything in advance to us and gave us all the details, when would we ever need to exercise faith? What level of trust would ever be developed between us and God? If God just told us everything, gave us all the details in advance, we would just no longer have the need to exercise trust and obedience. And that's what faith is. Abram is a man who's a prototype of faith because he trusted God even though he had no complete detail about the plan of God. He trusted and he obeyed and he followed God. 
Through the prophet Isaiah, the Lord said, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who trusts will never be dismayed. What is this cornerstone? Or better yet, who is this cornerstone? Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, is that cornerstone. And it's our desire to honor and glorify Jesus through the teachings that you hear each day on Cornerstone Connection. Cornerstone Connection is the teaching ministry of Pastor Gary Hemrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. You can get a free downloadable copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to cornerstoneconnection.cc. It's our hope that you're attending a local church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. If you don't currently have a church home and live in the Northern Virginia area, we encourage you to join us in person for worship. For service times, driving directions, and more information, log on to cornerstoneconnection.cc. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Please join us next time as we continue through the book of Genesis. Got no place to go, but still you know, still you know you're not a Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.